Scott, Guggenheim has reserved the right to invest up to 10% of its macro fund in Bitcoin. Have you guys started buying yet? And how much is this decision tied to the Fed's extraordinary policy? Well, you know, to answer the, the second question, Scarlett, clearly uh, Bitcoin and our interest in Bitcoin is tied to Fed policy uh, and uh, the rampant money printing that's going on. Um, in terms of uh, our mutual funds, um, you know, we, uh, we are not yet effective uh, with the SEC. So, you know, we're still waiting. Uh, of course, uh, we made the decision to start allocating toward Bitcoin uh, when Bitcoin was at 10000 um, it's It's a little more challenging uh, with the current price closer to 20000 uh, Amazing, you know, over a very short period of time how big of a run-up we've had. Um, but having said that, uh, our, our fundamental work shows that Bitcoin uh, should be worth about $400,000. So, um, you know, we're going to, even if we had uh, the ability to do so today, we're going to monitor the market and uh, uh, see how trading goes uh, on valuation, but ultimately want to buy it. Scott Miner, we want to delay the Fed press conference for this comment by you. How do you frame a 400,000 Bitcoin? How do you get from where we are now out to 400,000? Is it just based on scarcity? Uh, yeah, right, Tom. It's uh, based on the scarcity and relative valuations, such as things like gold, uh, as a percentage of uh, GDP. So, you know, there, Bitcoin is actually uh, has a lot of the attributes of gold, um, and at the same time has an unusual yeah. uh, value in terms of transactions. The stars are brightly shining It is the night of our dear Savior's birth Long lay the world in sin and error pining Till he appeared and the soul felt its worth Welcome to the Noted Bitcoin Podcast. This is your co-host, Pierre Richard. I'm joined here with Michael Goldstein, aka Bitstein. And uh, we have numerous guests today. Uh, They have teamed up to author a book called Thank God for Bitcoin, The Creation, Corruption, and Redemption of Money. Uh, So we're very excited to have you all here today. Um, some, Some of your names our audience might already be familiar with. 
uh, some of you, our audience is not familiar with. So um, I do think that uh, you know uh, introductions are in order, and so I'd, I'd love to hear maybe a, a, sh a short um, you know bio of of who you are, uh, why why you've teamed up to to write this book uh, with your co-authors, and um, really what. Yeah, what, what has you really excited about uh, sharing this book with others as well? Um, so I, I'd love to hear from each one of you. I will go alphabetically and I'll try not to miss any person, okay? So uh, if, if we miss someone, then we're just gonna have to start over again. Um, all right, so we're gonna start with Gabe Higgins. Gabe, <laughs> hi, how are you? Welcome. Hi, Baron. Thanks for uh, having us. Um, really excited to be here. Uh, long time uh, fan and follower. I've been involved in the industry here uh, since late 2012 is when I discovered Bitcoin uh, and then kind of went all in in 2013. Uh, started the meetup groups in uh, the Tampa Bay area, which is where I'm at, uh, and uh, have a, a, a company called Block Spaces, uh, which we facilitate uh, the ecosystem here and try to grow the community and uh, help uh, companies also understand uh, the technology and how to leverage it. And I'm really excited about the book. I, I've known Jimmy for a couple of years now. I actually had him. Uh, he was at our uh, grand opening a couple of years ago. Um, we've also had Tone Vase uh, and numerous guests uh, over the years. So really excited to um, be here and, and talk about this exciting new uh, thing that we've put together here. Yeah. So, what what prompted you to 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 want to um, to want to join this team and to help co-author? Yeah. Well, uh, you know, we actually when uh, we were at what was it uh, unconfiscatable? I think because when you kind of threw out the idea at me, Jimmy, about um, connecting with other Christians in the in industry, and so I think that kind of kicked it off, um, and we just kept in contact since and it kind of just formulated it, it was really just a book club at first we were just reading books together and, and dissecting them and going over the ideas and that's when it, it kind of after reading a couple of books we were really dissatisfied with the conclusions that they came up with uh because it didn't include bitcoin uh so uh that's where we we were kind of uh led to uh, fulfill those uh missing pieces for people now, before I go to your next co-author, I'm curious, um, you know, how, how would you describe your contribution to the book, right? So uh, was there one part in particular that you felt really strongly about and um, drafted or uh, were you, you touching all, all the different parts and crossing T's and dotting I's? Yeah, well, um, the process was really interesting and Jimmy had experience in, in doing a more collaborative effort in book writing. So uh, this was all really uh, at his lead and uh, at, at directing us. Uh, so we all had a, a hand in every part of the book. Uh, we've all touched every part of the book multiple times. Uh, so it's a, it's a combined voicing of all of our uh, pieces of information and knowledge and uh, opinions. Um, but it's it's still very cohesive as well. So it, it provides a holistic view all around. Um, uh, I did uh, assist, hopefully, uh, with uh, the cover and, uh, and, and some of the other things. Excellent. Awesome. Uh, so alphabetically next is George McHale. How are you, George? I am doing well. How are you? 
Very well. Thanks for joining us here on Noted. So I'm uh, uh, really interested in, in hearing you talk about your, your background, your, your role uh, in the space and um, what, what brought you together with, uh, with this team. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, thanks again for, for having us on. Excited to, to share more. So yeah, again, my name is George. I've been uh, a Bitcoiner now for three years. Got in at, at uh, all-time highs, class of 2017. So uh, <laughs> we made it the last couple of days. We've been vindicated officially. Uh, so that's exciting. But uh, yeah, my background is um, primarily in, in the ministry space. So I grew up Coptic Orthodox Christian, which is a, a very small um, remnant of Christianity uh, based uh, in Cairo, Egypt, where I was born. And uh, when my family immigrated, I basically wanted to fit in with, you know, my American friends and uh, started exploring evangelical churches, eventually got into um, to ministry. I was an executive pastor for a large evangelical church for a while. And over the years, I just kind of got disillusioned with um, the institutional church. And um, as the world continued to to change, it, it became hopeless really in a lot of ways. All the work we were doing, showing up every week and not really having any answers to, to some of the world's biggest problems. And that led me to, in kind of a roundabout way, I can get into the details more, I guess, but um, it, to, to Bitcoin because Bitcoin actually offered a real tangible solution for, for some of these problems that the people that were coming to our churches were facing. And so um, that kind of led to um, various career changes ended up uh, helping launch Bitcoin Is, which was uh, an event last year with my brother-in-law, Russell Okun, who uh, is an NFL player for the Carolina Panthers and a big-time Bitcoiner, author of the, uh, the foreword for this book. Um, th through that event, met Jimmy, who was one of the speakers there. And uh, so we, we just exchanged several emails about just the, the links between Christianity and um, and Bitcoin and, and spirituality and where, where the crossroads were. Um, and so, yeah, through those conversations, we started, we started these book study. It was originally a Bible study and then a book study um, that eventually led to this group coming together and, and writing this book. So uh, it's, been, it's been really cool to watch it all come together, especially uh, how diverse our backgrounds are and, and how, just how different we all think. But we all agree that that Bitcoin is is something to uh, to thank God for, really, and so um, so it's been really cool to to watch it come together. Great, thank you. Thanks for joining us. And next up is Jimmy Sign. Jimmy, how are you? I am doing great. How are you? Doing very well. So so Jimmy, um, you know our audience doesn't know who you are. So could you explain <laughs> your background? Um, and and what you what you're doing in the Bitcoin space? Yeah, I, w I was just some bum off the street when I met a couple of guys seven years ago at a Bitcoin <laughs> meetup. I think uh, their names were Pierre and Michael. So yeah, um, you know, so, somehow I got involved in this work, and uh, yeah, it's it's been fantastic. Uh, yeah, I obviously had some experience uh, from doing the Little Bitcoin book and bringing that to this in sort of like a you know, lockdown COVID setting was in itself interesting. Uh, but yeah, uh, it, uh, we had, I, I, I don't know, I, I consider it sort of like um, the melding of two of my passions. It's, uh, it's where my professional life and my spiritual life are sort of coming together. And, um, and yeah, for me, it's, uh, it, this book means more um, at a deeper level than the other books that I've written. 
Excellent. Well, thanks for joining us. And uh, we're, we're excited to, to discuss a book that means so much to you. Um, next up is Jordan Bush. Jordan, how are you? Yeah, I'm, I'm doing well. Um, Michael, thank you guys for having us on. Um, yeah, my, my story is, I mean, I'm, I would argue I'm probably the least known out of all these people. And, <laughs> and that's, I mean, shows in, in terms of the contribution, the parts of the book that I contributed to and the ones that I did not contribute to. Um, but basically, I um, serve as a missionary church planter and pastor um, of a small church in the city of Montevideo, Uruguay. Um, have lived here and ministered here alongside my family for the last six years. And um, yeah, and so basically my, my intro to Bitcoin um, happened about four years ago as I frantically tried to create a Coinbase account um, as Bitcoin's price was skyrocketing um, and trying to use various VPNs in order to facilitate that <laughs> was proved very difficult. And so I ended up, you know, wasn't able to buy very much. And so when the price dropped back down, I kind of became the head pastor of, the, of our church here. And so wasn't wasn't able to give very much time to studying about Bitcoin at all. And, uh, and then about a year and a half ago, when the price started spiking up, I just, I had been trying to figure out what to invest in. Um, and really was just morally convicted um, about the, the lack of options that I was going to be just plugging our, you know, life savings into these giant companies that really, you know, don't care about, you know, normal people. Um, and so as I, as I, um, I think it was through some of Real Vision's videos. Um, I first started hearing about um, Bitcoin and then found, you know, just some other people, some like Robert Relove. I found, you know, just different, different pieces from different people um, and just started to think about Bitcoin um, from a first principles, um, you know, standpoint. And so I, I'd fallen down the libertarian rabbit hole through, you know, the work of uh, Ron Paul um, in the early 2000s, um, you know, around, I guess, late 2000, around 2009, 2010. And so the more that I investigated into Bitcoin, the more that I found a correlation just between obviously, um, you know, sound money and then also just the Christian faith. Um, and so as I just, the more that I looked into it, the more that I just, I was amazed um, how many by the ways that Bitcoin's founding principles um, just had so much in common with, with you know, the, the priorities of Christianity. And so, um, yeah, so I ended up, I, I'd been thinking on my own about a lot of this stuff when I saw, um, I think it's actually Lyle's pastor um, posted something about a connection with, you know, the, the Bible and, and Bitcoin. And I just kind of wigged out and was like, man, I haven't heard anybody else talk about this. And, um, and so he mentioned something about a, a Bitcoin and Bible study. And so long story short, I ended up getting invited to, to kind of join the tail end of that process. Um, and then after, you know, as I was involved for six or seven weeks, and then at the end, they just said, hey, we, we want to invite you to kind of take part in this book. And again, I was kind of floored because I have, you know, the least amount of, you know, Bitcoin, <laughs> um, you know, experiences any of these guys but just my the part that I brought to the book was more um, just from a biblical you know biblical standpoint and that's kind of that's my area of expertise and so just thoroughly enjoyed and appreciated being able to contribute um, to this book yeah one more thing the other thing that I just that made this brought this all home was the fact that um, there about half of our church here in Uruguay are Venezuelan immigrants 
Um, and so we've seen, I've experienced firsthand just the, the consequences of fiat money and where, where it ends. Um, and so that's been something that's, you know, Bitcoin has, has shaped the ways in which we've tried to reach out to people here as part of our church as well. So. Great. Thanks to ha- th- thanks for coming on. And um, that, that was really interesting. Um, yeah, v- Venezuela has really felt the evil of fiat. Uh, Julia, welcome. Julia, would you like to provide a, an introduction and, and explain kind of what um, prompted you to join Jimmy's team here? Uh, yeah, so uh, I've actually been a Bitcoiner longer than I've been a Christian, uh, <laughs> which I just realized sitting here listening to everyone else. Uh, and I kind of initially got into it because I was into Austrian economics. I was part of Mises Canada in Toronto. Uh, interestingly, all those guys are like not into Bitcoin and don't like it now, which is you know typical of a lot of gold bugs. But um, I wrote the Declaration of Bitcoin's Independence back in 2014. I did some videos. There's like a good one. It's called uh, How to Be a Bitcoin Hater, which is relevant every time the price spikes. So send it to (laughs) anyone who doesn't like Bitcoin to humiliate them. And um, I got into this group. Well, I guess uh, I I finally met Jimmy like a couple of years back at a conference. And, uh, you know, we both realized we were Christian. So that was like a good intro. And then we just like... Um, nerded out in front of two atheists and tried to convince, <laughs> try to convert them on the spot at a Bitcoin conference. That was funny. Uh, and I, I guess we've kept in touch since then. And uh, they were doing this Bible group, like, and they invited me. So that's nice. And it was, it's been great. And um, I think we created something that's uh, filled a niche that was like hungry for this, uh, for this very solid, and um, very like well put together piece of information. Cause I think what we did here, like the biggest achievement really was condensing the information in a digestible format for people who are just getting into this, who happen to lean towards Christianity or wanna uh, kind of approach the subject from a ethical framework. So yeah, so glad that I got to join in and help out with that. Great, well, welcome Julia. Next up is Lyle Pratt. Hi. Uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm Lyle Pratt. Uh, I live in the Austin area. I'm kind of a, I don't know, startup guy. I've done a few startups. Uh, most recently was in uh, a telecom related startup, uh, which uh, got acquired by a company called Intelliquent. Uh, they're the largest wholesale telecom operator in the world by volumes. Uh, I currently lead strategy for Intelliquent. And, uh, you know, I, I do enjoy thinking a lot about uh, the intersections, the future intersections of, of Bitcoin, specifically the Lightning Network and how that's going to affect the telecom industry. So something I enjoy uh, thinking about and talking about when I when I have opportunities to. Um, I'm also part of a, a founding group of people that started a little church uh, here. And uh, my wife's the uh, pastor, also uh, Matt Hanzelka. Some of you might know on, on Twitter, he's another pastor there. Um, and, you know, Matt and I are both we both love to talk to each other about Bitcoin and, you know, it's good to have a close friend that you can talk to about Bitcoin with because, you know, we don't all have, uh, you know, IRL friends like that, that we get to uh, like a, a crazy Yahoo. But, uh, you know, one of the interesting things about our, our church is like, we, we like to sort of think in centered sets versus bounded sets. And I don't know if anybody's familiar with that, but, you know, a bounded set would be like, here's the box, you know, you fit within the box, then, you know, you're in, whereas a centered set might say, 
here's the watering hole, you know, everyone's can sort of agree on the content of the watering hole and we're all going to kind of come and, you know, and, and drink the water. And, and in a way, you know, Bitcoin is like that, you know, Bitcoin is the centered set watering hole for humanity. You know, it's a foundation of truth that lots of us can agree on. And, uh, you know, maybe similar to Christ and uh, at least in terms of the analogy. And, you know, I think that's, a good explanation of how we all came together to, you know, to write this book. Uh, you know, we all have very, very different ideas about, you know, maybe some, you know, uh, uh, theological things or, you know, views about, you know, specifics, but, you know, we were able to come together, uh, you know, and write the book together. And I think it turned out well, and I'm, I'm glad I got to participate in it. Great. Well, thanks for joining us, Lyle. Um, so I think that the first question I'd have for the group, but which I will direct towards Jordan, uh, is that a lot of our listeners might not be Christians. They might not really know much about Christianity at all. Um, they might have uh, opinions on Christianity without really knowing much about Christianity. Uh, and we see that with Bitcoin as well, right? We see people espouse strong views about Bitcoin without really understanding it at all. So I think that it would um, be beneficial because our audience does understand Bitcoin. So we don't really need to pitch them on Bitcoin, but can you pitch our audience on Christianity kind of in a nutshell? Uh, what's the value prop? Yeah, I, I do want to say, man, that's amazing. Um, I, I do want to say one thing. We have two co-authors who are not here. Um, so that would be Robert Breedlove um, and Derek Walchuk. Um, they're not able to be here right now. Derek's with his family on, on vacation and Robert is in uh, a, he's actually sleeping right now. <laughs> he lives in a part of the world where it's the middle of the night. Um, so I wanted to acknowledge them and their contributions that they made as well. Um, as far as, I mean, where do you even start explaining uh, is, <laughs> like, what is, what is Christianity? Like you said, it's, it's a thing that's got a lot of, it means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. Um, it's, you know, resulted in, I mean, you could look at it from, you know, a global scale and you can talk about, you know, the, the good that it's done and the, the, you know, ways that it's, it's blessed the world. You can also look at it um, on an individual level in ways that it's, you know, blessed people's lives and, and um, done a lot of good for the world. You can also look at the ways in which um, institutional churches have really harmed a lot of people. Um, have, have really damaged people, whether it's, you know, sexual abuse scandals um, across different faith traditions or, you know, whatever it is. Um, but basically, I mean, what it is to be a Christian, I mean, the, yeah, it's basically the belief that, you know, the God that made the world also made people. Um, he made them for a purpose. Um, they rejected that purpose in order to seek their own good. Um, and um, to exalt themselves. And God, knowing that, um, set out a plan in order to redeem people. Um, and so that plan came to fulfillment in sending his own son, um, not to judge the world, um, but to die for the sins of the world. Um, and so, you know, Jesus came, he did that. Um, he walked in perfect obedience in, in a way that we don't and, and um, his, his desires were to do the things that please his father because he trusted his father. Um, and so as a result of his perfect obedience that ended in his death, um, God raised him from the dead and um, he gives new life to, to those who trust in him. 
And so um, we, I mean, are all convinced again, like, he's, like Lyle said um, very well, we all have different beliefs as far as specifics, but um, we've all come to, to recognize our need um, of a savior and have found um, that supply um, in, in Jesus. And so, and he's changed our lives in, in different ways and changed the things that we want, changed the things that we value. Um, and again, primarily, like if you were to articulate, what does it mean? There was a guy who came to Jesus and said, um, what is the greatest commandment? Um, and Jesus answered that question um, by, by basically saying it's, it's to love God. Um, and to, and the, the second one, like it, to love God with everything that you have, your mind, soul, you know, strength. Um, and then the second one, like it, second one on the same level of importance as that commandment is to love your neighbor as yourself. Um, it's not to love your neighbor more than yourself in a way that denigrates you, uh, but it's a way that you, you consider as important, you know, what happens to your neighbor as you consider, you know, looking out for your own interests. Um, and so those, that's what it is, you know, those are the core beliefs of what it is to be a Christian. Um, and it's also the core reason, I think I can say this, the core reason why we care so much about Bitcoin um, and why Bitcoin is, is um, such an important thing. We see it as a tool that is created that serves um, those, those two ends of acknowledging the limits of the world that God has created um, and then as a way to, to love our neighbor. Yeah, I, I guess I would you know, add to that or expand a little bit and just say that you know, this is a good example of <clears throat> you know, the sort of the centered set you know, type thinking. And I think uh, you know, Jordan said it, you know, what, what's the greatest commandment? Love God and love people. And, um, you know, I think we all have that in common here. Uh, you know, we, we want to do our best to love God and, and love people. And, you know, at, at least in terms of, of my, you know, my personal opinion and, and beliefs, you know, if, you, if you're doing that and you're striving for that, then, you know, you're, you're a Christian. And there's a lot of words and, and uh, you know, specifics and that people, you know, hold about, you know, where if there's a line somewhere that you can cross to make you one or not, or, you know, whatever. Uh, personally, I'm not, I'm not as concerned about that. You know, I want to see somebody living their life, uh, you know, doing those two things. So. Great. So I really enjoyed this book. Uh, I thought it was a great, uh, it was a great introduction to Bitcoin generally just uh, in terms of being able to describe the problems of fiat money. Um, and it's also, it's not overbearing on any kind of religious topics. I think it's actually something that, you know, people of any, any faith or lack of can uh, find value in, which was uh, greatly appreciated. But what I really liked about it is the fact that most times when the topic of money and morality comes up, um, it's purely in terms of like, what do people do with money? Like you have, you, you know, you'll give the example of like a guy who has a bunch of money and he uses it, you know, for, for ends that uh, other people don't like. And so it's, you know, and you just get like Ebenezer Scrooge type stories or whatever. And this one, because it's focused on basically the problems of fiat money um, and how Bitcoin uh, can, uh, you know, be our salvation from that, uh, so to speak, is... It talks not about the morality of using money, you know, the way that individuals interact with this thing, but how the money affects, like the very nature of the money affects how we use it. 
Um, and I, I really appreciated that. So one of my questions would be, um, what was in the, in the course of thinking through this topic and, and writing the book, what was perhaps one of the most surprising sort of effects that you see uh, fiat money uh, having on people in a probably negative way, uh, whereas you think that Bitcoin can, uh, you know, alleviate that, that kind of uh, harm or suffering or uh, whatever. Um, I don't know who wants to start. Maybe uh, uh, Julia is raising her hand, so. So for me, that um, goes back to like high time preference and low time preference. And those two things are encouraged or discouraged based on what kind of monetary system you're under. So high time preferences, spend all your money at once, don't really plan for the future. Low time preferences, really plan for the future and save. And our current system uh, has a lot of inflation. Therefore, people don't, they either, a lot of people expect not to have their savings be the same in the future. And a lot of people don't know any better, but as a society, this affects us, whether we know about it or not. So the people that are money wise are discouraged from keeping their fiat money and holding it and saving it. So they buy assets like land and property and blah, blah, blah. Um, and poor, poor people or people with less access to this information, um, they just are incapable of having savings because halved or just completely destroyed by the inflation over time. So we live in a high time preference society, no matter how you cut it, just by the nature of using fiat money, whether it's Canadian dollars, USD, whatever, it's all fiat. So the most uh, immediate problem that like a Bitcoin standard would solve is churning everyone who is willing over to a low time preference. So if you want to save money, you can save money and it's going to be saved and it's going to deflate instead of inflate. Um, and that already sets people up for a much brighter future. And it sets up people generation generationally up uh, as a society for more wealth a better well-being, stronger families, stronger communities, instead of what we have now where it's this fast pace, get what you can while you can attitude, which affects everybody. Yeah, one of the things when I was reading that kind of, you know, just really stuck with me was the, um, the, the notes on the breakdown of community uh, due to uh, living it under a fiat standard, which uh, seems to come from uh, exactly what you're describing, where you just, you need to get what you can. And so oftentimes, you know, it might even be the case that you're desiring more than you actually need to live the fulfilling life that you're wanting, um, even at like a, a high level of comfort. And because of that, you uh, lack the time and resources to devote to other people um, that would otherwise, uh, you know, be in your favor to be helping out. Yeah, I would just add to to what kind of what Julia's saying is, and and what you're saying, Michael. We um, we live in some pretty unique times and some some times where things are, are transitioning, obviously pretty dramatically. And in a lot of ways, we're all living under this system that's corrupt, that's evil, and and to various degrees, are, we participate in it and we're culpable in in it. Um, you know, from from central bankers probably being the most guilty to the people who just have no choice but to participate it participate in it. And in a lot of ways. 
trying to exit this system and, and find something that's that's uh, more sound is an act of repentance, I would say. Um, like we, we have work to do to, uh, we've all participated in this system. We've perpetuated it to a certain extent. And it's a little bit, it's humbling when you, when you kind of look at it that way, um, that we, we all kind of have, have to look in the mirror and be like, well, what can I do? What's, what's my part? How can I stop perpetuating the system? And uh, I just, I think about sort of these, these narratives in the Bible of like, you know, repent for the kingdom is near and, and, and prophets warning uh, the people that they've, they've fallen into this communal sin, this, this collective um, debasement of the community. And I, and I think we're living in similar, similar times right now. And part of the goal with this book is to try to make this moral case for Bitcoin and juxtapose that with, with fiat to try to, to offer a, a glimpse of hope and, and ha- so that people feel like there is a way out. Yeah, which is exactly the, the point that the other books that we went over uh, kind of missed. Uh, and of course, you know, they were probably written uh, before Bitcoin's time, so we can't totally blame them. But we did reach out to uh, one of the authors and they did not, were not having it with uh, talking about discussing Bitcoin with us. Um, I so, think I can guess which author that was too. <laughs> you <But>. probably did. <laughs> um, so, you know, we, we feel like this need is, is definitely uh, there. We've, we felt it um, uh, readily there. So uh, we decided to, to do something about it. One of the overlaps I see between Christianity and Bitcoin is that um, repentance is an, an individual act between you and God. It's that there's not really anyone else involved. And I think that differentiates Christianity from a lot of other religions or belief systems uh, where, you know, they might have collective repentance. And, and obviously there are elements to that in Christianity, but the, the focus is on the individual and their relationship with, with God. Um, and that's the same with Bitcoin, right? In the sense that uh, it, it really is your individual responsibility um, and it's on you. So I'd be interested in, in hearing uh, anyone's thoughts on that. I saw Jimmy shaking his head, so maybe. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, so, what, so the two books that we read as a group were uh, The Ethics of Money Production by Yor Guido Halsman and Honest Money by Gary North. And the really dissatisfying thing about both those books is the conclusion, because it is just like, uh, it, it has very little hope because essentially the argument at the end is, okay, so now that you know about the corruption of the fiat money system that, uh, that we've just described, what we need to do is to get lots of people informed and then we need to vote in people that will return us to the gold standard. And like immediately you read that and you go, that's not happening. There's no way that's going to happen. Like there's this collective repentance that's required in order to put on this gold standard. And this is something that we put in the book uh, is th- there's no way this is going to happen. Like there, it's- Say the quote, like, say the quote, <laughs> do it. So, all right, so there, the verse that we put before that section is as a dog returns to its vomit. So a foolish person returns to his foolishness. And you know that, that's how we felt <laughs> about gold is, is that it, in a sense, like you, you, if you try to return to gold in that way and make uh, the dollar back by gold or something like that, we're just going to slip right back into fiat money. And so um, that, that was a large impetus for why we had to write this book was, 
we're not going to get this massive political action that's just going to, you know, go right back to fiat as, as soon as it's convenient. What we need is individual action and action at, uh, you know, where each individual opts to uh, go out of the fiat money system and into Bitcoin. And that that was really the thing that we wanted to uh, tell everybody that there is a better way and you don't have to be in this like pit of despair about not having enough political will to be able to uh, go back to a gold standard. Yeah, and I think that goes back, like we touched on things like in our democratic system of, of politics today, you think politicians aren't affected by this high time, low time preference thing. Would a politician rather be like, oh yes, Bitcoin is a great solid hard money. Let's adopt Bitcoin and go back to a beautiful uh, standard of uh, monetary exchange. No, they're gonna, they like fiat because they can print it and appease everyone and get votes. That's just the way the system works now. And they're part of that system. So yeah, it was very dissatisfying with those books because it's like, well, we just have to vote in people who like gold. Like, it's not going to happen. Um, and our, you know, we have like the chapters called Future and we, we hypothesize about how these better things can come about. We don't say, well, everything's going to collapse in 20, uh, you know, in 2025 and then Bitcoin is going to take its place. We're pretty reasonable and we do really focus on individual action because that's, the least naive way of going about it. It's also for the you know individual reader. What else are they going to be able to do? Uh, maybe yeah, exactly. you know once you have enough people doing individual things, you can find each other and you can you know work together. But as a mere individual, all you can do is uh, you know choose to to hold le hold less dollar denominated assets and choose more Bitcoin denominated assets. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's a good point, you know, just to sort of you know, think, put yourself, um, you know, think about what is happening. And, and you know, the, the facts are is that our system today is built on two things. One is theft and the other is lies. You know, we have every, you know, every dollar, every time the monetary base is expanded, you know, a little bit of theft is occurring and it is a little bit people would argue, okay, well, it's just a little bit, you know, there's greater good that's coming out of that little bit of theft. Uh, but, you know, as we've seen over the past 50 years, there's also a lot, a lot of great harm coming from that, you know, that theft that is occurring. And, you know, we see this in the Cantillion effect and, you know, asset price inflation and the wealth inequality gap, all of those things are rooted in the theft and the lies of, of fiat. And then, you know, not even just the wealth inequality, but, you know, the lies part of it is the pricing distortions that happen in the market. Uh, you know, it's effectively a blanket, you know, set of lies across the entire economy and no one knows what the truth is. And, you know, I think all of our hopes, or at least mine, you know, from the book was just to get, you know, people that, you know, say they value, uh, you know, morals and, you know, they value uh, the truth and, uh, you know, Christ said he's the way and the truth, you know, so, you know, people that value Christ or value the truth that exists in the world, it's, it's very hard to consciously accept the lies that di disseminate throughout the economy from, uh, you know, from that system. And hopefully, you know, this will plant some seeds uh, in, in people's minds so that they begin to, 
you know, to think about that and can make their individual uh, decisions, you know, to, uh, you know, to separate themselves from, from those things, however they can. Maybe this is a too, too, too deep of a question, but um, what, what is the role of truth and truthfulness in the Christian moral system? I mean, I, I would say it's foundational. Um, you know, uh, I, I would say that it is foundational. Um, I mean, just going back to, you know, that, that quote, you know, uh, about Christ being the truth and, um, you know, uh, and then back to the, the, the verse that Jordan brought up earlier, you know, love, loving God or loving Christ is in a way loving the truth, right? And um, so it's, it's foundational. And I think um, any, you know, a lot of the problems we have in society or even in our own lives, con lives comes from ignoring the truth that we know is there. Um, you know, whether, you know, maybe it's addiction or maybe it's, you know, something that, you know, we feel is wrong in our lives, you know, sometimes we, we know what the truth is, but we just ignore it. Right. The and lies we sense, tell that's, ourselves that's what we're doing. Exactly. Yeah. This uh, is, I mean, this is, go ahead. No, no, go ahead, Jordan. No, I was just going to say like, I mean, truth, truth leads to life and lies lead to death. Like this is, this is just how it works. And so if you either purposefully lie or unwittingly lie, it still can end in, in suffering and in death, you know, for, for other people, loss of, again, like there's many people who, one of the things that Jimmy brought up and then we talk about in the book that, I mean, just blew my mind that I knew, I knew that like we had a debt-based money, but just the, the practical example of every time that a loan is taken out, like everyone else is in the society is being stolen from. It just, I mean, I have literally been thinking about that for the last three days and I just can't, I mean, it's just so astounding. And I just feel like the, the many people just don't realize that, um, that, I mean, like it's that, it's that foundational. Every, every mortgage that's taken out is effectively stealing, you know, from, from everybody else. And so I, I think as Christians that ought to, I mean, as people who, you know, who've come to, to know God and, and, to, and to see him and, and see his, like his, his standards as, as good, like the, the limitations that God puts are, are designed to free us. And, and so as we, as we see those things and we see, we see who's benefiting from these lies and how it's, it's not the average people who, you know, we, who are our parents, who are our brother. It's, it's this small, very small group of powerful people um, who are benefiting from them. You know, there, there is a cost, um, you know, and I think that's one of the things we get into in this book is just showing how high that cost is. Um, yeah. Um, everyone remember God is the word. And that word is truth. It's true. It's a true word. It's not mm -hmm. a lie. And um, that's the standard that I want to hold everything else to. You, it's objective. It's not subjective. And uh, today, you know, you can print, if you print some money this time, it's good. But if you print some money that time, it's not so good. No, it's all bad. And then you can, uh, you can compare that to like an ultimate a truth of the ledger where it doesn't change and that's it is what it is so i think that's a very important point mm -hmm. julia i have a question for you uh which is uh in your introduction you were saying that you were a bitcoiner before you were a christian um did bitcoin play a role at all in that uh conversion or was that uh just completely orthogonal um i don't think it played a direct role but I think it was just nice to have my uh, worldview align 
altogether. Because like if Bitcoin wasn't true and good, it would be hard for me to be a Christian. Do you see what I mean? Mm -hmm. So everything came together, like my value set converged and is consistent. I guess, uh, you know, this opened up for any, everyone, but like, are there, are there things about uh, the way that the Bitcoin system works, you know, technically or economically that upon understanding that deepened your uh, understanding of uh, your religious beliefs uh, rather than the other way around? Uh, I would say that for me, it, that the answer to that is connected to the, the previous question about, about truth. And, and I think one of the first questions about just like the pitch for Christianity, it all kind of got synthesized around this idea of, of true scarcity, right? 21 million Bitcoin. Okay. That's knowable. That is fact. Um, and how is that, how is that true of, of the Jesus narrative or of, of Christianity? And you'll hear Christians say things like, Jesus is King or Jesus is Lord or uh, phrases like that. Kanye West put out an album called Jesus is King, which is fantastic. Um, <laughs> and, and what does that even mean, right? What, is, what does that phrase actually mean? We're, we're in the year 2020. And so far, the life and ministry of Jesus, Jesus is teaching, like everything that has prevailed from 2020 years ago, which by the way, we measure our time around this person's life. Jesus is king. That's, this is a fact. Until, until someone dethrones Jesus as king who lives a better life to where 2,000 years later people are still talking about that life, um, Jesus remains on the throne. And, and so that you can say everything I just said without going to church every Sunday, you know what I mean? Without praying every day or reading the Bible. Like that's just everybody has to deal with that reality if you live on planet Earth. And so um, I think that's there, there's, there's parallels to just objective truth, as Julia is saying, uh, between Bitcoin and, and the Christian narrative that, um, that just continue to persist, that we, we have to, to reconcile. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, to, to me, uh, one of the biggest myths about Jesus, and uh, this, this myth was spread by a lot of people who didn't like him at all, uh, is that he didn't exist. That, uh, that somehow uh, this this life was entirely fabricated and put into narratives um, when we actually we do have enough historical corroboration to, to establish that, first of all, he existed. And my understanding is that, you know, we can establish two historical facts, let's call them about Jesus. One is that he was baptized by John the Baptist and began his ministry. And the second, that he was crucified on the outskirts of Jerusalem um, at the orders of Pontius Pilate. And those, those are facts because uh, you, we, we can corroborate them from different sources that wouldn't necessarily ever want to agree, right? Uh, you can kind of think of them like Bitcoin notes, right? <laughs> um, the problem with history, though, is that you, um, it, history, you know, any, any historical event uh, is, is really hard to to really pin down as having actually happened, you know, if you didn't see it with your own eyes or whatever. Um, but I think that as far as historical events go, those two are, are as established as any other historical event, right? And the signing of the, of the Declaration of Independence or anything like that. Um, and so, you know, the Soviet Union, the, the, the communists there, they really try to emphasize that Jesus never existed, that it's an entirely fabricated myth. And um, that's one of the 
things where I'm like, you know, if the communists really wanted that to be true, when I know that's not true, because I, you know, I've read enough on this topic, um, you know, it, it makes me want to believe in Jesus. It really makes me want to be a Christian that uh, the communists hate him this much. <laughs> to own the commies. <laughs> yes, exactly. Just purely for that reason alone. No, I have many other reasons for loving Jesus, but um, I, I just wanted to, to throw my two cents in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, I, I mean, I think that's one thing we, I don't know how much we go into this, but I mean, just the, the value of history, um, like Christians put a high, a high level of, a high amount of, emphasis on, on the historicity of, of these things. Again, in like, you can compare, I mean, you can look at a lot of people, they try to treat the scriptures like it's some sort of science textbook. And that's not why it was written. <laughs> like it was written by people who did not share our same priorities. And so, but there are lots of like, lots of places in the scripture where they're laid out to be histories. And so acknowledging that there exists a difference in the, in the standard of, of evidence for historical things and, and, and scientific standards of evidence, those are two very different things um, that should, that both have merit and both deserve to be taken seriously. Um, and so I think that that's one thing, it, it is important. Like there's, you know, lines of, of manuscript evidence that go back, you know, thousands of years, they go back, you know, more than 2000 years. And, and so there, these, these things that we believe, I mean, one of the things somebody once said, like one of the evidences for the for the veracity of the scriptures is the existence of the Jewish people themselves. Like you have this people who, you know, their lifestyle so pri- like so prioritized, um, you know, family and truth and, you know, maintaining a, a certain society that they, they guarded these scriptures and passed them down from generation to generation. I just, Pierre, I just listened to your episode with the old, with the Bitcoin rabbi, um, the other day and, and really appreciated that. Um, but that, I mean, these are, these are things like Christians, Christians verification, the ability to verify um, is very important. And so that's one thing, one of the ways I, I really just appreciate the nodes and how it allows you to verify, um, you know, what has happened in the past. So. And uh, just to build on top of that, there are less nodes, if you will, for the existence of Alexander the Great and Genghis Khan. So for anyone listening, if you don't believe that Jesus was a real person, you can't, you cannot uh, with good conscience believe that Alexander the Great existed or Genghis Khan existed, period. Could you elaborate on how that's the case? Uh, because there's just more, uh, more diverse historical documentation from different sources, including Jesus's enemies that corroborate his existence and his crucifixion. The people that hated him most during that time still admitted that things happened. <laughs> Whereas with Alexander the Great and Genghis Khan, it's basically a singular source of documentation from the source itself. Right. Similarly to like how uh, someone like Socrates, it's like he exists is, exists in you know Plato dialogues, but not necessarily yes, because Socrates was being included in that example for sure. Right. I, I think this is a, you know, a good segue into, you know, Bitcoin as a source of truth in the world, you know, not only today, but, you know, going into the future forever, you know, the, the, the problems that we have verifying these historical documents, you know, is uh, potentially not going to exist uh, going forward in another 2000 years when, you know, Bitcoin is, uh, how, how many blocks is 2000 years from? <laughs> a, a lot of blocks between now and then, 
But, you know, with open timestamps and things like that, you know, we're, we're going to be able to, um, you know, prove, undeniably prove that, you know, that, that certain things happened at certain times. And um, that's a, a resource that humanity has never had. Um, and it's going to, you know, it's one of the foundational things that, um, or catalysts that will uh, continue to cause Bitcoin to, to change the world. I want to go back just a little bit to the question that you had before. How has Christian, uh, how has Bitcoin sort of deepened my Christianity? Um, and I, I thought about this quite a bit. And I think uh, to a large degree, uh, like along with Bitcoin comes uh, a lot of Austrian economics and things like that. It's given me a real appreciation for sort of a prioristic thinking, uh, thinking from first principles and things like that. Uh, for a lot of Christians, uh, especially if you grow up Christian, what, what you end up getting is just sort of like a bunch of doctrine kind of thrown at you. And, uh, you know, without necessarily the, um, you know, the systematic theology that you might, you might get in seminary, for example. Um, but because, you know, I, with Bitcoin, I had to study a lot of that. I, I, I realized like, I have to have a really good systematic knowledge of what my faith is. And, and that's definitely deepened it. Uh, it's given me a much greater appreciation uh, for the entire you know, system of belief that Christianity is uh, and how it actually enhances civilization in much the same way that Bitcoin does, right? Like there are all sorts of little incentives here and there that are there for a good reason. And, uh, and like thinking through that and learning about that, at least for me, has been uh, fantastic for my faith. I think it's interesting that there's uh, a lot of moral teachings that uh, the defense is merely, oh, well, Jesus said so. And so you might have someone who hears that all of their life and then they go out into the world and then someone tells them, maybe some communist tells them that, uh, oh, well, Jesus doesn't exist. And it's like, okay, well, then he didn't say that. So that, that reasoning for whatever, whatever way of life you were living goes out the window. Whereas a better question, which I notice uh, a lot of Christians like yourself um, dive into, is also the question of why did Jesus say that? You know, if Jesus, you know, or, you know, if, if there's a, if there's a, a way you ought to live, it's because there's a reason for it. You know, the, the belief is that God is love, you know, and God loves you. Well, if, if there is a reason to be doing something, it's because it has some benefit. So then the question is, well, in what ways does it benefit you? And so, yeah, like having to go to the first principles and really think out why, would this be told to me um, as a way to live is going to deepen it because you're not only going to have the, because Jesus said so, but it's like, well, I took a look at the whole of creation from like, you know, 20 different uh, lines of evidence. And it all points to the fact that this is the true uh, sort of uh, moral and good way of living. Let's ask another question. Why did Marx say the things he said? <laughs> and we have a small part in the book that concludes that he was uh, basically a Satanist because <laughs> I'm not being hyperbolic. Um, I've so, heard this before. Right, right. Uh, there's a whole book about it. Uh, Jimmy, you read it and you uh, re like you made sure that this was in the book and I was heavily behind you. And how it started was um, we put in some like references to Faust, which is like an awesome read if anyone's ever read it. There's like some nice... Uh, 
uh, Austrian econ there, like the earliest little dip into that, because what happens in the second book is mm. basically the devil tells an emperor to uh, create money out of nothing, like to have money they have in mind yet. And then inflation happens and a war breaks out. And uh, what, what Jimmy read was that uh, Marx basically idealized this character in Faust, uh, who was the devil and was inspired <laughs> by this book, not only in his personal life because he did what Faust did um, uh, he like impregnated a woman and then left her kid to die. Uh, I believe that is part of Marxist history. But in terms of his economic theories, literally inspired by the devil. Yeah. So uh, that character Mephistopheles. Yeah, Mes uh, which is uh, total total mouthful. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So uh, yeah, fiat fiat money is uh, is a creation of Satan. One hundred percent. Um, is Jay Powell satanic? I feel like he might be a Christian, so I don't want to cast aspersions, but or or judge anyone else. We often pretend to be. Ooh, whoa, <laughs> well, all right, all right, all right. Um, so, um, okay, there's a million different directions we could go in at this point. Uh, we're we're at the top of the hour. Can 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 we continue? Is everyone able to continue? Okay, great. I have um, a controversial question. Yeah, please, Michael. Please. Well, so what I'm interested to know is if different uh, beliefs, perhaps uh, inside and outside of Christianity, uh, make it uh, easier uh, for people to be sort of uh, Bitcoiners. And if like some, some religions uh, and, and sort of sects within Christianity would be more open to Bitcoin than not. And the reason I think this uh, and why, why I asked, you know, if this is a possibility is because if someone had the belief that the world was ending tomorrow, then they would likely have very high time preference because there's nothing like, this is it, let's go. Um, you're going to just want to have all the fun you can before tomorrow. Whereas if you believe the world is eternal, um, you're stuck here for a long time and you're going to want to make things nice for yourself uh, while you're here or uh, you know, wherever you think you are going to be forever. So in that case, like, are there differences? Each of you, uh, you know, come from different backgrounds. Did you find that there was, there was like a difference in like kind of ultimate perceptions of Bitcoin? Hmm. Yeah, the, the one pattern that I've, I've noticed is that for a lot of people, um, if you feel like you can kind of create your own reality and that this is sort of like a much more socialist uh, sort of mentality is that you can change human nature, you can, you know, make people do whatever it is that you idealize. Um, those people tend to think that Bitcoin's all BS or they're like all coin apologists or something like that. Uh, whereas if you believe that there's an objective truth, and we talked about this earlier, uh, this belief that there is an objective truth tends to lead people uh, to understand Bitcoin a little faster um, and maybe accept it as, as, as an objective truth. And that, that's a pattern that I've seen. It, it definitely has maybe some personality aspect to it. Uh, certainly if you're, I guess, uh, more... Uh, inclined to be liberal or left-leaning uh, politically, that that tends to be the case. But e even the atheists in this space, 
space uh, generally believe in some sort of objective reality. There's very few Bitcoiners that are like, oh, no objective reality exists. And therefore, you know, uh, you know well, it would be but I still believe it. Yeah. If you yeah. believe in like some kind of objective something and uh, but you run a full node. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The existence exactly. of Bitcoin requires having some uh, shared conception of, you know, even just the, the laws of thermodynamics. We can all agree that, mm. uh, you know, it, it costs a certain amount to be able to produce a hash with a certain number of leading zeros. You know, I, I would I'm going to try to answer the question as uh, <laughs> I know we've got guests here. I should let them talk. But um, uh, I, I, I want to say that um any belief system that puts forgiveness at the center of, of it, right, or close to the center, is going to have a leg up when it comes to Bitcoin. Because you're going to make so many mistakes with Bitcoin that if you let them stay with you and you let that guilt follow you until the day you die, guess what? You're already dead. You're living in hell on earth and you are tormenting yourself. And so you need to find a belief system that will grant you kind of ultimate and limitless, um, you know, mercy and forgiveness. Uh, otherwise, uh, you're just not going to have a fun time with Bitcoin. Welcome to Noted Bitcoin Ministries. Lyle, did you have something? Well, I was just going to, you know, add a little bit on this, you know, this, this uh, concept of, you know, truth. And, you know, I think... <clears throat> When people think about truth, you know, it is a binary thing. I think ultimately, you know, the difference is, you know, we forget how that, that truth fits into different people's lives and perspectives. And I think, a, you know, maybe a good analogy is actually, you know, uh, the Heisenberg uncertainty principle and, you know, in quantum physics. And, you know, you can have a, a truth or in reality, but you know, the effects of that truth are different depending upon, you know, the observer, depending on who, you know, who is observing what is happening. And I think that's the same for, you know, for people, you know, truth sort of warps the reality as it settles into the people that are experiencing it. And, you know, how that truth affects our own lives is a little bit different based on my, you know, my personal experience. But with, with, Bitcoin, um, it actually gives us a foundation of truth that we have never had before because, you know, it is completely verifiable by anyone with a Raspberry Pi. And I, I mean, I, I'm bullish on humanity just because we have now have that, you know, source of truth, because in, in a way we haven't really had it before um, in, you know, at, at such a global uh, accessible scale. Yeah. And let me just add one more quick thing to this, because so I spent time in, in both sort of conservative Christian uh, church environments and progressive Christian church environments. And it's fascinating because right now there is so much there is just this overwhelming sense of, of hopelessness and despair in the, in the world. I don't know if you've noticed this. Um, <laughs> and and it, it's happening in both camps, if I can if I can use that uh, conservative Christians uh, to the extreme. Right. Not everybody. But they're waiting for the end times. They're waiting for a revelation. They're waiting for all, all of kind of those narratives that they grew up with, like left behind and the rapture and all that. Progressive Christians think that, you know, um, the end is near due to climate change and, and all these other uh, arguments. And so that you have like this, this, these dis 
fair narratives kind of battling each other. But at the end of the day, everyone's kind of saying the same thing. And it's, I don't have hope. Where is the hope? What do I do now? How do we get, how do we dig ourselves out of this mess that we've created? And everyone kind of like Lyle saying is just kind of grasping at their, their own answers. And so um, I, I do think uh, uh, there is something powerful that, that is happening with Bitcoin. And I think that, you know, the title kind of speaks for itself. Thank God for Bitcoin that, that God has, it has provided uh, something in these really dark times that can appeal to everybody. You don't have to, you don't have to follow this certain, um, these certain belief systems that you grew up clinging onto. You can actually just be present in what's happening right now. What God is doing right now in this moment, in this world. And uh, it's exciting. It's, it's fun to be, to be a part of. Isn't uh, hope and faith a virtue in Christianity? Yeah. I want to say, I want to point out, um, uh, back to your question about how Bitcoin has influenced your faith uh, in terms of believing God, but I went back to orthodoxy recently. And I think the main thing I like about orthodoxy is the main thing, one of the main things I like about Bitcoin is that it hasn't really changed. And orthodoxy has been the same, uh, you know, the same protocol, if you will, since the first century. And I, I was part of some uh, both progressive and more conservative churches. And I, I did see the problems that were just described. And I think what I love about the Orthodox faith is um, I don't see those problems to the greater extent there. They kind of, there are specific churches that obviously succumb to these problems and just stay away. But as a, as a, you know, as a general um foundational faith, I think orthodoxy kind of staying strong and actually growing right now. Right. And that seems uh, like in and of itself, just like the, the practice of that is uh, uh, maintains hope and faith because it's just like, I, I stick to my guns and, you know, life, life will give us what, what God, you know, throws at us, um, you know, and God being love will yeah, eventually despair give us. is heavily discouraged. Yeah. Do not despair. And I, I wish that for all churches right now, whatever, whatever the church it is that you go to, I wish that your pastors get the courage to not despair right now. Perhaps if more pastors were Bitcoiners, uh, they would know how to deal with such intense civilizational Minus. bear markets. <laughs> but yes, exactly. And this is why the book is going to help some people hmm. really truly believe that. I think, I think one of the things we, that we see is, I mean, literally the, the religion that like is preached by pop culture America is, is materialism is fame. You know, all, all these things that they, they declare, these are the pinnacle of human existence and what, what you're seeing by the, the things that George and uh, Lyle are talking about, just the, the depression, the despair is that these are very weak, small gods. <laughs> like the, these are very, th these cannot satisfy human needs um and so They're basically think, all coins yes they are all coins. <laughs> very good game exactly so what one of the things again and i think one of the values of bitcoin is uh, I, yeah is just is showing it it, it, it has proven just over and over again to me has proven to be so good at giving parables for the truthfulness of of things that are taught in scripture um one of the things one of those things is um, one of the things we look at is um, this concept, the, the idea of obedience, right? Like 
we do not like this idea. <laughs> we do not think like obedience is a good thing. And we think that freedom is, is the absence of restrictions. Like this is, this is you know, anything from no limits as, as a, I think that was a brand of genes, like all these things, you know, these, these messages that were taught is that limits are bad, go beyond your limits. And one of the things that you, that, that Christianity teaches is that like, it, it's not the absence of any limits, it's, it's surrendering to like natural good limits. It's, it's surrendering to, to limits that correspond with, with, na- with your nature. And so in the same way to use like an example, in the, in the same way that a fish who says, I'm going to be free and leaps out of the water onto the ground quickly realizes that that is not freedom. You know, humans have things that, that do not like that look free. They might sound like freedom, but that really don't provide it. And so one of the things that, that we see with Jesus is Jesus, it says that he obeyed, he perfectly obeyed his father. He obeyed him perfectly. He had no sin. And so I look at Bitcoin and I look at, I look at how like the Bitcoin protocol perfectly walks in perfect obedience. Like it just does what it's supposed to do. And what happens as a result? Like the world benefits. Like people are, are I mean, literally people in countries where there's oppressive dictatorships find economic freedom, like through this perfect obedience of the Bitcoin protocol in the way that Jesus brought salvation to, to the world through, through his perfect obedience. Like Bitcoin literally shows the same point that, that obedience to, you know, given standards can bring freedom. Um, yeah, obey so, truth. Again, yes. Yep. Yeah, obeying truth is not a character flaw. <laughs> I think a, a good sort of like Bitcoin, uh, you know, illustration of, of this concept would be, you know, if you have a private key, you know, freedom with, without restrictions would say that, oh, I could just share this private key wherever I want and there will be no consequences. Whereas if you obey the realities of, you know, how the network operates, which is it doesn't care who signs the message with the private key, just that the private key was present, um, then it forces you to have to um, treat the private key with a certain level of sanctity um, to, to keep it safe. And, uh, and while that seems like, oh, but I want to be able to like share things with the world, um, by following it that you're able to maintain some wealth that you can then use to do other good things in the world. Yeah, and I think kind of building on, the, on this point of the, just like the parallels, it's, it's, it kind of goes back to the time that we live in and what's coming. And I think it's kind of, it's sobering to think about, you know, if, if, if we're right, which we are, about the trajectory of the world and, and where things are headed, like there's going to be some dark, sad days ahead and so how do you respond to that if, if you kind of if you know that and, and I think that's where that's where the despair and the depression comes in but for people who have hope for people who have who know the truth and for people who who uh, have been kind of looking into solutions um, I think there's a different way to go about it and it got, kind of goes back to this whole idea of repentance and it goes back to um, even like the biblical story of, of, of Noah's Ark right like um, there's a flood coming and Bitcoin offer is, is kind of a way, a way out, uh, a, a arc, if you will. Um, but, I, but I do think it's, it's important to kind of have both. You got to acknowledge the, the reality that a lot of people are currently living in and will continue to live in as things kind of get more challenging with the imminent collapse of the current corrupt financial system, right? Like that's real, that is happening. But um, I think 
as people of faith and of hope, um, our response to it is, is ultimately what matters. And that, that ultimately is rooted in, I think, kind of what Pierre was saying, which is not having fear, not being afraid of, of the, the imminent collapse um, and, and being this source of, of inspiration and, and uh, offering, offering a way out for people, a solution for people. The government is not your savior, so everyone should admit that. Stop worshiping it. Yeah. The <laughs> state has now. become our god. Don't worship that. <laughs> Don't worship their fiat dollars. You know, I think that the uh, one one aspect of the uh, apocalyptic thread in Christianity is about uh, creating FOMO, like repent now, because otherwise it'll be too late. You can't repent after after the, you know, the the day of reckoning. And so um, I it's kind of a forcing function on folks to take it seriously and um, to open their eyes. And I think there's the same thing in Bitcoin. Like when I go on Twitter and I say, the fiat system is collapsing. Get out now. You know, I'm trying to do the same thing of like uh, sending an apocalyptic message, not for evil, but for good. Right. To encourage people to get on that arc uh, and to take it seriously. Um, but it's not that I wish ill upon the fiat system. Uh, I'm, I'm just uh, pointing out how unsustainable it is. And I think, right. you know, Jesus had the same view of the both the secular and uh, religious authorities um, and and state and institutions uh, during his time that he saw that they were unsustainable and heading towards disaster and sure enough I think he was vindicated um, after the fact uh, but I'll, I'll leave it there. It's good. I think this is another thing that that I appreciate. We're gonna have to shout um, shout out to Matt Odell, um, the the original um, stay humble. Like this is this is something I, I appreciate. I mean, I appreciate that man so much and just that message. I feel like it's so important because like one of the one of the things, what the, like what did Jesus do with his strength that he had? You know, like he laid it down and gave his life to save his enemies. And so like this this is the a danger that I see as like as Bitcoiners, is like literally I, I mean, I think we're really I think it's what we're pointing out things that are right. Like Bitcoin is is great. And the temptation is for us to go around and, and triumphantly, you know, look at all of you guys and look at everybody else, the no coiner people, and like, ha ha, you know. And so, I just think it, to George's point, it's exactly true. Like, if think like we have to remember the gravity of all this, you know, like what's going on. And and so, one of the things that Paul talks about is that those who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak. And so, I, I think that's. I mean, I think we there's lots of people who are doing that, who are trying to talk to their parents and trying to talk to their you know, grandparents, brothers and sisters, people at work, you know, they're, they're trying to do that. Um, but I just think that's, it, it's an important thing. I, I have seen it and I'm encouraged by it, but I just think the, the more we go here, that's, we just need to keep that posture. Um, yeah, it, it kind of sounds like you're saying we should cut the altcoin or some slack. And, and that we should be, <laughs> we should be grateful. Just kidding. We Don't should be grateful. Don't put words in my mouth, Lyle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, we'll cut Jeremy Powell some, some slack too as well. You know, he, he doesn't know what he's doing. We have to forgive him. Uh, he's not conscious of, of what he's doing, of the evil he's committing. Um, and, and the the other part is that, um, you know, we're, we're, it's only by an act of God that each of us, you know, found Bitcoin when we did and that we were born when we were born um, and that there's really nothing about us personally that means that, um, you know, we're, we're unique and in, in that nobody else could 
think about Bitcoin or write Bitcoin code or talk about Bitcoin. Um, and so we have to be grateful that, that you know, we've been given uh, this, this gift at, at this time um, and that, that we get to live our lives during this period because, um, you know, we were, we were born just in time for hyper-Bitcoinization, uh, which is uh, quite a blessing. Ooh. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, just to ramp this up with the, the Christmas season too, um, you know, being thankful for this immaculate conception of, uh, of Christ and Bitcoin uh, that we are a witness of. Uh, and and it's a, a part of the historical record now, um, and we can carry that on into the future and proclaim uh, the victory that we've we've been witness to. We haven't even really touched much on Bitcoin's creation story and the parallels uh, with yeah. that of Christianity and of um, the Immaculate Conception of uh, Mary. Uh, because there's so many we could draw from. And because people talk about how Bitcoin is fair, right? Its distribution is fair. And I think that's what is immaculate in Bitcoin uh, versus um, everything else that has come before it and that came after it. Even gold, I would argue, is less fair than Bitcoin because some parts of the world just have more gold than other parts just by an accident. You know, South, it's not like South Africa has any more right to gold than, uh, you know, mm-hmm. countries that don't have any gold reserves. There's no partiality in Bitcoin. Bitcoin is no respecter of persons. That's exactly right. Um, All right. So we've got an hour and 20 um, uh, recorded. We can continue if if y'all want. Uh, um, There's uh, a long litany of of angles we could take. Michael, do you have another question? Well, I have just like a general question um, in case, you know, we, we don't go on that much longer. For Bitcoiners who are, you know, more interested in religion now that they've gotten into Bitcoin, they've heard uh, you guys, maybe they've read your book. What are uh, ways in which people like what what are good books? You know, what's like a good book that knocks you off your feet uh, to make you think um, in a way that you may have not thought before? Uh, because for a non-religious person, thinking in a religious way is uh, alien, weird, and perhaps just crazy. I have a good one. Um, so there's this guy called uh, Anthony Flew, and he was like the top dog atheist of atheists. Um, and this was before Hitchens or Dawkins. Those are small fry. They actually don't have anything interesting to offer after Anthony Flew. It's all regurgitation after that. Anyways, this guy wrote a book, There Is No God. And then 20 years later, he, maybe 30 years later, he changed his mind. And he was like, I actually saw way too much evidence to the contrary. And he wrote a book with crossed out, no, and there is a God. So check out Anthony Flew, There Is a God. It's a short book. It's for people who are critically minded and scientifically minded. So like, basically uh, former edgy atheists like myself. And it goes through a lot of the objections you probably have flying around in your head. And it's very difficult to um, not at least question your atheistic non-beliefs at the foundational level after you read this uh, little text. So check that out. I just looked him up and I think uh, readers, uh, sorry, listeners of this podcast would appreciate um, Flew was awarded the Schlarbaum Prize by the Ludwig von Mises Institute for his 
quote, outstanding lifetime achievement in the cause of liberty. Oh. So I want to read this guy, you know, even just for that. So. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I mean, I might recommend a book called uh, Simply Christian by N.T. Wright. I think it's a, you know, it's a, it's a good book that, that sort of uh, makes the case um, for Christianity sort of the, from the ground up and, and in a way from first principles thinking. Yeah, also Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. It's an excellent primer. Yeah, there's a former pastor, not because he's not a pastor anymore, but because he's not a head pastor of the church he was at. Um, he wrote a book. His name is Timothy Keller. He wrote a book called um, The Prodigal God. Um, and it just basically t- retells the story. It's a retelling of the story of the, the pr- what is commonly known as the prodigal son. Um, and he basically just lays out that if you read the first line of the story, it says there was a man who had two sons. And so he, the book just lays out how there's two, two ways that people generally approach God, that they're either going to please him and under their own ability or they're, they want nothing to do with him. And so he just tells the story through that lens, and it's it's a really powerful story. Yeah. I'm gonna go uh, old old school, really old school. I think 1400, 1400s, uh, imitation imitation of Christ, uh, Thomas de Kempis. This is just like un, unfiltered. Here's how Christ lived. Here's how you should live. And uh, you know, it's before the, the, the church got a, a ton of power. Well, I mean, they're still they were very powerful back then, but maybe less so than today. Um, but that's a good one that I appreciate. One other helpful resource. This is again, like there's again, there's all kinds of people who have different perspective. If you're if you know nothing about the scriptures, um, there's a series of of videos. There's this um, organization NGO called the Bible Project. Um, and they're, they're basically, their whole mission is to make videos to, you know, help the Bible be more easily understood. And so, I mean, they just talk about the fact that the Bible, every time you open the Bible, it's a cross-cultural experience. You know, you're stepping into cultures that are, you know, that look nothing like our daily experience. And so they try to help people, you know, realize that and kind of bring people back to what, you know, people might have been thinking in those who were living in those times and places. I'm going to go a slightly different direction here. Um, ask a Christian friend, you know, why they have the hope that they have. Uh, there are books, certainly, and they get you uh, to a certain degree. Uh, but it, nothing really like um, is as good as maybe just talking to somebody that you know that already believes maybe something that you're considering. It's, it's a lot easier to find out from them why and they can they're able to interact with you so if you have a particular question that you you know that maybe isn't in a book then that that's that's the place to go and um even if they don't know themselves they certainly have resources to be able to find out for you and i I would i would encourage that more than anything yeah i i would i would say to 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 those listening who uh maybe they hear even the word christianity and they kind of like roll their eyes right um, I, I'd ask them like, how do you think your life is going right now? You know, just, just take a moment of just 10 seconds of honesty with yourself and, and ask yourself how, how you think your life is going and, and, um, what, what your problems are. Um, because, uh, I really think that Christianity and, and obviously a lot of other spiritual systems or whatever you want to call them, um, are, are about self-reflection and, um, 
then that might launch you in the right direction and, and start it, at least because people get hung up on like, did Jesus do this miracle or not? Or am I going to feel pain in hell? It's like, those are not kind of what I would consider to, and, and it's the same thing with Bitcoin. People are like, it's too volatile. You know, it's like, okay, that's not, yeah. All right. Let's set that aside. Let's just, let's, let's read the code, right? Let's read the scriptures. Um, and let's, let's actually think about some of the concepts being discussed here and, and how, how they interact with uh, inside of our inner mind. <laughs> Okay, I'll, uh, is that a good place to stop? Or uh, Jimmy, you want to chime in? No, I, I, I was uh, getting ready in case you had a question, but I, we could we could we could totally stop here. Okay, I, I think it would be fine. I, um, I do have another question though. Um, okay, if someone comes to you and says, "I don't like the Bitcoin is driven by greed. Mm. I, I don't like all the greed involved. It's it's kind of yucky. It's it's money changers, right? Mm. Uh, it's it's not what Christianity is about, and it's really." Uh, it's wrong for you guys to even like combine these two concepts in a epic mashup. Yeah, so we we actually have a section in the book for that about how uh, Bitcoin doesn't fix everything. Uh, although we like to say that in the Bitcoin community, it doesn't fix the human soul. Um, and it is very easy to sort of uh, get into it in a way where it becomes like your God uh, and you know you you trade it, you live for it, you do that. That's I, I we we think that's also unhealthy. Um, that said, uh, you know, like fiat money does the same thing. It makes you kind of worship it. I call it sort of the monetary Stockholm syndrome. Uh, you know, where you learn to love the thing that enslaves you or keeps you trapped or whatever. Um, and that that also is very very bad. Um, I, I, my tendency is to think that the people that are truly greedy, they end up going to altcoins anyway. So like, you know, they, like the people that stay in Bitcoin, they kind of have a recognition that it is uh, not just about like greed. It's, it's about something different. It's, it's about changing or, or thinking outside of yourself. Um, and I, I've seen that from pretty much everyone in this community that they do, they're not like in it for completely selfish reasons, although I'm, I'm sure there are, but again, like those people are probably gonna go and promote an ICO or an altcoin or something so they can make more money. Um, if you're willing to sell your soul, you might as well, you know, get paid really well for it. Um, in that sense, like this, the uh, you know, Bitcoin is a lot less greedy, uh, but that said, it, it is possible. And, you know, part of uh, learning to be Christian is learning virtues like temperance and doing things the right amount and not going overboard or too little. I would also just add to say that, you know, at least from my perspective, Bitcoin isn't, you know, about being greedy. And some people would argue that the incentive system of Bitcoin is built on greed, but I would push back on that and, and say the incentive system for Bitcoin is, is, is built on virtuous, uh, a virtuous cycle that benefits everyone that participates, yes. yep. you know? So if I save my money in Bitcoin, everyone else saving money in Bitcoin benefits. And if you save your money in Bitcoin, everyone else, I, I benefit. And it's not unlike the, you know, the, the, the greatest commandments that, that Christ gave us. If I love you, you have incentive to love me. And our lives are better because of it versus if I hate you and work to harm you, 
your life is worse and arguably mine is worse as well. So, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's similar things. And, you know, um, does, does that eliminate greed from Bitcoin? No. Does it eliminate greed from humanity and, and Christianity? No, but it's about what are the incentives, um, you know, for this shared experience that we're all living and uh, choosing systems that have gratuitous uh, incentive structures rather than harmful ones. Yeah, I do I just, think, I, go ahead, piggyback. Oh, sorry. I would just, I would just piggyback on, on what Jimmy and Lyle are saying and add, I agree with what they're saying, but I would also add that I think the jury is still out on this a little bit. I think there's still, um, there's still, we got to see what happens. You know, what's Grayscale going to do with all their Bitcoin in the future? What's Michael Saylor going to do with all their Bitcoin in the future? When, you know, when we're, if this plays out the way that we think it's going to play out, we're going to have some serious influence, some serious power in the world. And I think when I say the jury's still out on it, I, I think there is still going to be this moment of truth. Like, all right, here, we've been saying this, we've been saying that our incentives aren't sort of purely about greed. And now uh, we're holding a lot of the chips. What are we gonna, what are we gonna do with that? And I think this goes back to something we were talking about earlier and, and in a verse in the Bible where um, Luke 12 says, uh, to whom much is given, much is expected, right? And uh, again, wh who, are, who are we to have, to be born at this time and to have Bitcoin and to be exposed to it? Like, uh, it's, if anything, it's a great responsibility. And, and um, I think we're still waking up to that every day, especially right now as we hit new all, fresh all-time highs. I think I think one of the things that Jimmy pointed out in that is I mean a goodish place to kind of bring everything in close is is the fact that I mean Bitcoin is great and it solves lots of problems but it doesn't it doesn't answer the question what are people you know like it, it doesn't it doesn't reconcile it, it can't solve you know depression <laughs> you know it can't solve like these deep anguish the loss of family members these kind of things like I I it can I, cause I depression this. yes that's true. Like I, I had this like just total like full 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 orbed you know moment yesterday where I, I'm just like what is important in life. I went and picked up my son from school on his last day of school. I got a text while I was there from my a, a friend of mine saying telling me that Bitcoin reached its all time high. I dropped my son at home and went to a funeral of a 33 year old you know African immigrant here in Uruguay who had died of cancer and left two her two kids. Um, to be taken care of by, by basically by strangers. And, uh, and so just that, you know, that reality, like we do, we keep, I mean, we keep our mind on the fact that there's so many people who are, are harmed by this existing system who will be benefited by, by a Bitcoin system. And yet even that like Bitcoin is a tool, it's not meant to be an end in of itself. And so the question is like, what, you know, what are we going to do with, with what we've been given? And what is that ultimate goal? What is the ultimate reason why, why we have life? Um, and so it, Bitcoin will free us. To, I, I believe like this is one of the effects is it'll free us to have more time to think about those, those real, the real important questions of life. I agree. I agree. Um, and the other part that I'm reminded of in terms of the, the greed question is that we have this saying uh, a, f a fool and his money are quickly parted, are soon parted. Okay, so what about a, a wise person and their money? Should and I think fiat has actually, uh, it, it attacks this, right? Fiat says, no, actually you're foolish for not spending your money. 
you're fighting the Fed. You know, you, you, you're going to get inflated away. Uh, a wise person in the fiat world, you know, spends their money. Uh, um, and, and so I think that uh, Bitcoin is, is really going to allow wise people to accumulate wealth. And uh, that, that it ultimately their, their wisdom, right, means that they're more likely to do good than the foolish people who have been accumulating wealth uh, under the fiat standard. Um, so with that, I, I wanna give the final word to Julia. Oh, wow. Um, yes, to reiterate, I think some of the beautiful sentiments we just heard, Bitcoin is an amazing opportunity and tool for those who are paying attention and for those who wanna elevate the way that they live in this world to a more moral system. And you can also do bad things and it is up to you at the end of the day. The difference is the current system heavily persuades you and um, puts you in positions where negative and uh, badly incentivized outcomes happen. With Bitcoin, you have a lot more individual freedom as to what kind of outcomes you can affect and what kind of life you can live. And you can objectively live a life that is more moral when you're under a significantly more moral system of money. Excellent. Well, thank you all for coming on today. Uh, we're very grateful to have had you as guests. Uh, hopefully, we'll, we'll have you all back on, uh, on an individual one-on-one -on -one basis as well so that we can uh, discuss other topics. Um, particularly, uh, Lyle, I want to talk about lightning. Um, so that would be really cool to talk about uh, telecoms. Looking forward to it. Um, and, uh, then, um, yeah, we, there, there's so much to dig into on this topic. Maybe we'll do a second episode, right? Uh, after I read the book, after <laughs> I read the book, maybe I'll have some questions, you know, uh, some doubts, maybe I'll start having doubts about the, no, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> my, my faith will be renewed. I promise. Uh, and, uh, thank Can't you all. Back for... a Marxist. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> hey guys. So well, have you read Stephanie Kelton's book? <laughs> <laughs> I did. Yeah. It was painful. <laughs> uh, she is satanic. She is satanic. Um, <laughs> Michael, do you, do you have any uh, final closing thoughts before uh, we end this episode on that note? No, I want to go hit the books now. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Uh, hit the books um, and we'll, we'll do another noted very soon. We're, we're cranking these out so quickly now because it's a bull market. Um, <laughs> trying to keep up with everything. All right. Thanks all. And, and we'll see you soon. Cheers. Thank you guys. Thanks, Pierre. Oh, Thank you guys. I'm sorry. One more thing. Do you want to give your Twitter handles uh, if you are on Twitter uh, and, and we can start uh, with Gabe alphabetically again? All right. Yeah. I'm uh, crypto underscore edge. Awesome. And uh, George. Yes. I am at G McHale, G M E K H A I L on Twitter. Everyone already follows Jimmy. So <laughs> 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 yep so mine is um at j m as in michael and then last is j m bush writes okay at j m bush writes perfect uh and, and lyle and we'll put we'll put links in the show notes as well but just for the for the people who are on their phones uh listening uh lyle what's your handle uh lyle pratt l-y-l-e-p-r-a-t-t -T. perfect 
Awesome. Uh, did I miss anyone? No, I didn't miss anyone other than Julia. Well, Julia. Yes. Yeah, yeah. so, so find Julia. Go, go find Julia. And we'll put her her Twitter uh, account in the um, show description. At, at Brave the World. Yep. There we go. Perfect. Thank you, Michael. Um, and and, yeah. and again, just to acknowledge Robert and and Derek. Roberts is at Breedlove twenty two. I think I can't remember what Derek's is. But yeah, I think it's just finish. Derek Walchek or D Walchek or something like okay. that. It's one of those. Uh, I'll find it. And um, it's yeah. in the book. If you read the book, you'll know. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. So, so all of our listeners uh, go buy the book. Thank God for Bitcoin and um, gift it to all of the Christians uh, in your life um, that, that um, you care about, which I mean, should be all of them. Right. Um, and, uh, yeah, so, 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 so get lots of copies and, and start, uh, spreading the word about Bitcoin. Uh, it's, it's really important. Um, so thank you all and have a great day. Thank you. See ya. I'm sorry.